This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. This episode of Inputs is brought to you by Smart Nutrition MAP plus MST. Experience the latest, most efficient fertilizer system for delivering sulfur and phosphate to your crops throughout the entire growing season. Learn how to boost your soil's performance and maximize ROI with Smart Nutrition MAP plus MST at smartnutritionmst.com. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager, and I'm speaking today with... I'm Dr. Yvonne Lawley, and I'm an Assistant Professor in the Department of Plant Science at the University of Manitoba. And I do research on agronomy and cropping systems in Western Canada. My name is Callum Morrison. I used to be an international student, but on Monday I became a permanent resident and I'm studying cover cropping on the Canadian prairies and in Ontario through a series of surveys. So any of our longtime listeners will know that we spoke with Dr. Lolly and Callum last year about their cover crop survey through the University of Manitoba. So we've brought them back to give us a little bit more information. But if you could just give us a brief overview of the project. Great. Well, this survey is certainly something that we started. It's going back now, probably in the winter of 2018, heading into 2019. And the reason that we wanted to do a survey is we know that farmers have been using cover crops. And we really wanted to get a good picture of what early adopters are doing in cover crops across the prairies. Because we think it's really important to actually document what are we doing right now, what are farmers doing right now, as well as to learn from them what the challenges and barriers are to be able to start addressing those. And so Callum joined me working on this survey and really brought a lot of energy and life to this project and has generated so much participation by his efforts to communicate with farmers um, about the project and why it's important right now. So It's really a partnership between us as researchers and farmers to be able to give a clear picture about what's happening and what we need to do moving forward with cover crops on the prairies. It's been really wonderful being able to do this over really two surveys, both the 2019 cover crop survey and the uh, 2020 survey. Basically, Yvonne created the first survey and um, it kind of really wanted to know what us as researchers wanted to know. But after doing the 2019 survey and speaking to hundreds of farmers all across the prairies, it became apparent that there were some questions that were really on farmers' minds that we thought we really needed to go deeper and answer those questions for those farmers. And it's just been a great journey where we were able to consult those farmers and bring them on board so that we could ensure that the questions we were asking would uh, be well understood by them and help bridge the gap so that researchers and farmers are working together and singing from the same hymn sheet. You can really tell that between the first survey, where we heard from 211 farmers across the three prairie provinces, by the end of the 2020 survey, we heard from 528 farmers. Part of that is because we decided to also reach out in the 2020 survey to farmers who had never grown a cover crop before. So of those 528 farmers who took part in our survey, 281 of those farmers grew a cover crop in 2020, and 247 of those farmers did not grow a cover crop in 2020. But it allowed us to really get a far deeper insight. So 
we weren't just surveying people who have experienced growing cover crops, but we were surveying people who were maybe thinking about growing cover crops in the future. Okay. What were some of the burning questions that you found farmers had? Maybe the four most impactful questions we really added in is essentially how do farmers believe that cover crops have affected their uh, farm net profit? And uh, I think the economics of cover crops is something that is always at the forefront of minds, farmers, but also really farmers wanted to know what problems other farmers were facing. They wanted to see what benefits people had observed from cover crops. And crucially, they were constantly asking what time frame have other farmers been experiencing this? So I'd say they're some of the most common questions farmers were saying they wanted answered. Okay. It's a very personal and a very regional thing. So that inter-farmer communication was almost mm -hmm. just as key as kind of broad resources on what cover crops to use, when to use them, that sort of thing. How to phrase this. We're still there. <laughs> <laughs> We're still there. Research is so much slower, right? Yeah. So we have several ongoing projects in the lab group looking at cover crop agronomy, and we have a long-term rotation study that's underway, but you know. It takes time to accumulate these effects and observe these benefits over time. So I would say we're still very much in a phase where farmers are relying on that peer-to-peer -peer learning and that network. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this survey is so important to do right now and why farmers are so interested in the results of the survey. Mm -hmm. And I know it's because you accepted respondents who hadn't grown cover crops before, but that's an incredible amount of growth. And I imagine mm -hmm. The perspective of people who haven't grown cover crops but it's either on their radar or they're considering it because they're mm -hmm. responding to your survey that had to be wonderfully informative so one of the great benefits we've had from including farmers who don't grow cover crops is we've been able to ask them what problems are limiting cover crop use on their farms and then as researchers we're able to have a look at what these problems are and then potentially in the future we can find ways to mitigate these problems and then again we're asking what could be done to assist farmers growing cover crops? And this could be something that potentially policymakers could look at in the future to try and assist these farmers and ensure that they make the best decisions for them on their farm. Fantastic. What are some of the major challenges that would prevent a grower or a producer from considering a cover crop? Well, I think the major challenges that are limiting cover crop adoption on the prairies for the non-cover crop group a lot of them come into the prairie climate that we see frequently coming up, the lack of moisture in the fall, making it difficult for cover crops to become established. We also see the shortness of growing season coming up again and again and again. And then tying into that, farmers having problems with the late harvest of their cash crop, preventing their cover crop planting. So these are things which we really expected to predominate as the major challenges. But of course, we're also seeing farmers really having problems with, you know, maybe they're concerned about there being additional costs associated with cover cropping. And those are the major challenges, but we found farmers uh, selecting dozens of different uh, challenges. I think they also identified that having support, people that can help them figure out cover crops is also a, a limitation and availability of seeds, like figuring out sort of the logistics and sourcing of something new in their cropping system. So maybe not unexpected challenges, mm -hmm. but it, it's great mm -hmm. to see the ones that we thought reflected in the survey and, and looking at the different proportions. I mean, it's very clear that the shortness of the season, the moisture constraints and the seed costs really rank among the top responses that we see in the survey. 
roughly 15% of farmers said they've only been growing cover crops one year and slightly less than 15% of farmers said they've never had a problem cover cropping. So I hope they keep going even if they encounter those troubles. Oh yes, definitely. And that leads on to something else Upon and I really want to talk about. One of the questions that we ask is a fantastic way to gauge the momentum behind cover crops and really how confident farmers are in a cover crops place on their farm. What we did is we asked farmers since adopting cover crops, has your acres that you've devoted to cover crops increased, stayed the same, decreased, or really kind of depends on the year? And the message we're getting from this is, for the most part, once farmers start growing a cover crop, it's very unlikely that they will actively decrease those acres. So only 5% of the farmers who took the 2020 Prairie Cover Crop Survey actually said that since growing cover crops, they've decreased their acres. So only 5% of farmers have done that. Bearing in mind 15% of farmers, again, this is their first year, but 45% of farmers actively increased their acres, 35% didn't change. So really, if you add those two groups together, you're getting a, a picture of confidence in my mind that if you're keeping your cover crop acres the same, or if you're even increasing them, it must be something that you're confident with. So I think that is a very, very strong message that we've got out of this survey coming from that question that we asked. I would agree. It sounds like the majority recognize the benefits of cover crops and are keeping at it. Yes, even with the majority experiencing problems, they seem to be uh, quite content with the benefits. That's something, again, that you folks highlighted last year, the goal-oriented nature of Mm -hmm. cover crops. Like if you focus on a goal and achieving that goal as opposed Mm -hmm. to expecting broad scale benefits from the Mm -hmm. practice would be more likely to consider it a success. Mm -hmm. That was another piece of information that, you know, we were able to see in both surveys is what are the motivations driving farmers to utilize cover crops? And in the 2020 survey, it just affirmed the centrality of soil health and building soil health in motivations for growing cover crops. And of course, that is a longer term investment. So both increasing soil organic matter and building soil health were among the top two reasons that were reported for growing cover crops. Mm-hmm. The short-term benefits that farmers talked about were weed suppression and then as well grazing. So I think there are a few benefits that you know you see immediately you can monetize in the year that you're practicing cover cropping, but a lot of them are accrued over time and It'll be really interesting to see after this really dry year in 2021, how that influences those perception of long-term benefits. You know, obviously 2021 is a really dry year across all the prairies with the drought. And so that constrains your ability to grow cover crops, right? We just don't have enough moisture to go around for the crop, let alone investing it in a cover crop. And yet knowing that we're going to have these years of drought, what do we do with that water in the years where we have it? And also the value of residue, you know, speaking to some of our on-farm collaborators this year, they talked about their observations in some of our on-farm strip trials where we have cover crops and no cover crop strips replicated about the perceived value of the residue that we grew the fall before the drought happened, both in terms of conserving moisture in the soil. Okay. So talk about long-term effects. Droughts like this year, if they are becoming more common, will that affect cover crop use? Will it change whether people switch from the fall seeded cover crops to a full season cover crop? 
what yeah. can you kind of predict about that? Oh, well, I mean, predictions are hard, but I have some thoughts to share about that question. I mean, I see, again, the difficulty in how do you sort of prime this pump to get sort of that additional carbon that we need, the porosity of the soil that we need to be able to capture moisture and hold on to it. So I see cover crops playing a long-term role in building that soil sponge and managing water. I also see on the other side, the hesitancy, right? Like this fall here in Manitoba, it could continue to be dry. And in that case, you're not putting a cover crop in. You need to store that moisture for next year's crop because we don't know what kind of recharge we're going to have over the winter. We had some rain here over the last 15 days, and we're talking here at the end of August. And there is sort of renewed interest. Oh, well, maybe, maybe this is our opportunity to grow something that might help us trap snow this winter. Right now, like if you don't have a lot of residue after harvest and you're thinking about how to trap snow to have that rain that you need the next spring, that could be a positive. Also just reflecting back over the feed shortage that we've had here in Western Canada, like the full season cover crop can play an important role in providing sort of high quality annual forage. Now, the original intent for a lot of these full season cover crops is to provide that forage in fall. But I think there were definitely opportunities this summer to utilize that cover crop as emergency forage. And so it'll be interesting to see what kind of decisions people are making after this 2021 year and and going forward. I'm sure there's a lot of lessons learned. This whole summer, I've been seeing the massive cracks opening up and the lack of moisture and thinking, oh my goodness, we're not going to see very many cover crops this fall. And the amount of rain we've had recently, I've seen a number of farmers planting cover crops. I do think, as Yvonne said, people are now thinking, well, cover crops, yes, they do obviously need water to survive just like any other other plant. But there is that opportunity to capture moisture in the fall, snow over the winter. And I have been speaking to some farmers who've said, that is precisely why they're growing them. So we'll have to wait and see exactly how cover crop usage is affected this year. And I think it's too early to call. <laughs> Understandable. Now, you folks aren't planning to run another survey. You had the 2019 and the 2020 survey, and that's kind of the end of this study. There's so much more we can learn. And every year is almost in a vacuum because they've all got unique challenges, unique benefits really like you might have a beautiful year and each year our farmers are hearing about cover crops more and more the momentum's continuing and more and more people are hearing about our survey so it would be fantastic to do another another year but again as I say I have to finish so the report that you guys are going to make from this will be coming out in October who are the respondents who did you hear from and who's growing cover crops well we really heard from a tremendous spread of farmers from many different demographics. And I think one thing that's uh, really strong about this survey is we represented farmers from all three of the prairie provinces. So roughly a third of our respondents came from each of the provinces. So Manitoba had the greatest representation of 37% and Alberta had the least at 31%. But all in all, all three are really well balanced. And we also found that we got participation from farmers from every single region in the prairies that the agriculture was occurring. And when it came to cover croppers, we found cover cropping being done in every single agricultural region, from the interlake in Manitoba to the Peace River Valley, 
a lot of places that might have been surprising to us, such as even southern Alberta, where uh, you'd expect the dryness to be a major issue. And feeding into the location is how likely farmers were to grow shoulder season cover crops or full season cover crops. So across the whole prairies, 55% of our cover crop acres were shoulder season cover crops and 45% were full season cover crops. But what we seem to be finding is, in general, the further north you go in the prairies, the less likely a farmer is to grow a shoulder season cover crop, and the further west you go, the less likely a farmer is to grow a shoulder season cover crop. However, full season cover crops appear to be grown throughout the prairies. And of course, there's always those breakout cases that you'll find just about in any location growing a shoulder season cover crop. And if we're talking about percentages, children full, maybe we should talk about the big number. How many acres of cover crops did these 281 farmers grow? Well, amazingly, we found that those farmers were growing 102,000 acres of cover crops. Whoa. So it's fantastic. And considering last year, I believe it was 83,000 acres yeah. of cover crops. And of course, this is the tip of the iceberg. You've got to consider all those other farmers who aren't growing cover crops on the prairies. But it's showing that we've definitely heard from a very wide, wide range of farmers. And these farmers are from a variety of different types. But uh, rather interestingly, just over 60% of farmers said they were a livestock farm. So, of course, there's a lot of great opportunities there for uh, forages with cover crops. But still over half, 56% said they were annual grain. Because, of course, farmers, they don't exist in a vacuum. They can be more than one thing. And 54% of farmers said they had beef on their farm. So that was by far the most common livestock type. Only 29% of farmers said they had no livestock on their farm at all. And something else I want to say is we had participation from just about every single farm size you can think of. We had a number who had less than five acres, a lot of specialist fruit and vegetable growers. But then we've seen some people over 10,000 acres. So we've really represented every farm type there is out there. And then uh, we've been very, very diverse when we think about the type of crops that cover crops are following. So we did discover that the most common cash crops to precede a cover crop, they're annual grains, which you may expect just to when they're harvest and all these sort of things and the opportunities to obviously broadcast into them before harvesting and that. But number one was barley, followed by spring wheat, followed by oats. So about 23% of farmers are growing cover crops after barley. And we also have to consider what are the top cover crop species that we're actually seeing in the prairies. So the number one are the various types of clover. 57% of farmers are growing clovers. So the majority of farmers are growing a clover in their cover crop. But then we also saw predominating oats, peas, hairy vetch, and radish. That is really exciting. The growth in acreage is incredible. But also, if I remember correctly, about half the respondents to the 2019 survey were from Manitoba. So for it to kind of equal out, that means that there's a lot of interest, if not necessarily uptake yet, in the other provinces. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think part of it is like building that network and the reach mm -hmm. and awareness of the survey, which is one of the reasons why I think we really benefited for doing the survey for more than one year. Mm -hmm. 
But I do think that it speaks, just getting a third of respondents from each province's speaks to the fact that it's a useful tool in multiple places, even if it's for different reasons. So it's exciting to have this innovation happening in all these different ecozones of the prairies and that farmers themselves are looking to use plants in a new way to address soil challenges and to invest in their soils. Mm-hmm. I think one of the really important pieces from the survey for me as a researcher is when we asked farmers about how they were seeding cover crops. And I was quite surprised by how many farmers were intercropping to establish cover crops. And after having sort of two very dry years, 2019 and 2020, and now 2021, just sort of building, it's clear to me that using intercropping is one of the strategies that prairie farmers are using to adapt to sort of their moisture constraint that they have and the timing of when that moisture is. Again, you know, one of the barriers that came out when Callum was talking about what the barriers were is having reliable moisture in the fall to establish shoulder season cover crops. So as a researcher, I'm, I'm looking at this feedback from farmers and thinking, okay, if we're going to have viable solutions for cover crops that fit in the prairies, we've got to look at a puzzle like that and start unpacking that. I mean, Intercropping has a lot of challenges in terms of crop and intercrop compatibility, compatibility with herbicides. So I think that's one of the places where I see this survey feeding into future research and the need to develop very prairie-centric strategies and ideas for how we can make cover crops work on the prairies. I imagine it's tricky to create a resource for everyone, but the research is probably very interesting in that you can see so much in such a set area. Yeah, and I think, again, we're, we're thrilled by the response from the survey and to know that there is at least 100,000 acres of cover crops right now is very exciting. But, you know, the prairies are huge. And so I think the new challenge will be, we're sort of at this early adopter phase. And I think those early adopters are gonna be the ones that innovate solutions that have potential to be pulled up onto those larger acres that we have in the prairies. And I think it's, again, gonna be, important for us to be working together, researchers and farmers who are innovating, to take some of those strategies and then see how they work in small plots or taking them to on-farm experiments to see how they play out in other regions. So we can have some strategies that may work on large acres with some of our really important crops like wheat and canola for the prairies. I think if we could develop a couple strategies that are going to work in wheat and canola I think we're going to see a lot of uptake across the prairies. Now, you mentioned that you learned a lot between the two years of conducting the surveys in terms of how to conduct the surveys. Could you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think it was a real journey because one of the biggest challenges with surveys is getting it out there. So really at the beginning, we relied on really our personal networks Avon had built up over the years as well as connections through the university and farmers we already knew. But throughout the first year, I was trying to reach out to uh, as many different producer groups and networks as I could across the prairies. But the skills I'd gained there, and I was uh, really trying to build upon leading up to the second survey, meant that I could really reach out to a far broader base than I ever could have thought of. So, for example, I literally contacted every single council and RM (laughs) was on the prairies 
asking for help, asking which groups they think I should contact. I contacted essentially every single, as I said, farmers organization there was right the way down to very niche groups, right the way down to the biggest picture. Because the point of this survey is we didn't want to be specific to any one type of farm or any one type of farmer. We wanted to show the truth that is happening just on the whole scale. So for that, we needed to speak to everyone. And it was just a great journey being able to talk to print media on radio. And then the other thing that we really fostered and worked on was social media. And I think the importance that this will play in future surveys, it can't be understated. I was out there every day, you know, trying to spread the word and it was very, very, very effective. And I think we need to make sure that communication is key on how we get it out to farmers and working with existing networks, but also being able to create our own. So it's been fantastic and a great experience. And also the fact that I even feel that I myself have grown and benefited from it. I can't think of any other project I could have done, which would have got me speaking to farmers from every region on the prairies, not just the prairies, because I have been working in Ontario too on a separate survey. I've been speaking to people from Ottawa all the way up to Grand Prairie, basically. And uh, being able to speak to people who are livestock farmers, people who grow ginseng, all these different sorts of groups. So it's been fantastic and I've loved it every minute. As an advisor, it's really exciting to see your students grow and it's been really fun to watch Callum's skill set grow. And, you know, as someone who usually just does science, this has been a really fun project on the social sciences side of things. And we've had to get help from people who have experience with surveys in order to bridge those gaps. And also just to see, you know, Callum's communication skills grow. It's been really fun as an advisor to watch this project grow. That's fantastic. And you've kind of found a way to marry the research to that grower extension that is so key. Mm -hmm. Research doesn't exist in a bubble. It's really what I love about this project because we're wanting it to go out directly to farmers. We're also wanting it to go out to researchers and we're wanting it to be made available to policymakers. We have so many different groups that we really want to take this on board and have a look at it. And it's just interesting because we want to describe what's happening, but we also want to try and see what we can do with this information and how that can feed into future studies and future policies. It's a really timely project and it's exciting as a researcher to be enabled to work in all those different areas, being able to do small plot research on cover crops like we're doing with the rotation study and figuring out some agronomy right now on rye termination timings, but also working with a network of farmers for our on-farm project that we're doing where we're just looking at cover crops in existing rotations. And then being able to do this survey project, I think, is going to give us as much information as we can have right now on the prairies to be able to set an important course for what are the really important questions to answer in order to move this practice forward and, and to answer some of those big policy questions, too, about soil carbon and water management and what potential this practice really has for improving the resiliency of grain systems as well as integrated crop livestock systems on the prairies. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.